lot of the women that are listening are in that spot where they love God and they love, they have good, some good memories and it's like a mixed bag of good and bad. And yet that drive, I think, which is within us um, to be in community with others, but not finding that home or feeling like you have a, a home base that you can go and be yourself and express yourself right. and feel like you can be authentic. So what do you, what do you say? What, what do you say to, to people in that situation? I think I, when I first kind of quit for a little bit, I think I expected lightning to strike. Um, and it didn't. Um, (laughs) um, in some ways I had, I think there is like a positive piece of this is that it taught me to pay attention to how God spoke to me or where I felt the presence of God and God moving in a way that was like not related to what I was told should be, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, I guess the thing, one thing I would say is to, you know, pay attention to where you sense the presence of God. Where do you sense, where do you feel close to God? I sat Mm -hmm. and watched, I don't know, hundreds of sunsets because I felt close to God in those moments. And I Mm -hmm. learned not to, um, I mean, that's good. That's a positive thing, right? To pay attention to those, to those Mm -hmm. moments, um, to draw near to God in ways that, um, you know, may have been outside of what I was accustomed to. Uh, I read a lot of good books and that's one thing I would, I, you know, if I'm sure you have a lot of great resources on people that are having like deconstruction things within their faith. I read a lot of Sarah Bessie, Rachel Held Evans, Barbara mm-hmm. Brown Taylor, um, you know, just some really good thoughtful books especially by women that I think sometimes can understand that like displaced feeling at times, you know? Um, yeah. I read a lot of those. Um, I connected to people in other ways and I tried new traditions, which I've still haven't quite handled that yet, but you know, um, if my spiritual growth only happens when I go sit in a church for an hour on Sunday morning, that, you know, that's not really, that's kind of meaningless to me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying we don't need to gather together. That's not what I'm saying. I miss that. I'm just saying it has to go beyond that. And so continue to practice in ways that are meaningful to you. Um, I got, and I did things I'd never done before. Like I bought Anglican prayer beads because I'm very kinesthetic. So um, I tried that. I I use those in my morning prayers. Now Um, I have the daily office on my cell phone and I open it up and I read through the creeds and the prayers because it's Mm -hmm. centering to me. You know, Mm -hmm. I, uh, I read from all kinds of different backgrounds. I quit confining myself to people who looked like me and acted, you know, and you know, I really, I encountered God in those things. Um, you know, I'm very low church. 
if that makes sense. Like I'm from a very country Baptist church is how I grew up on a mountain in a rural area. And so, um, and even when I was a worship pastor, we were more progressive worship wise. Don't not politically (laughs) to make sure I understand that's understood, but like I had a band and you know, it didn't look like what I grew up in really, but belief wise, pretty similar. Um, I really enjoyed doing things that were learning in ways that were very different, you know, going to the Episcopal church and a lot of things I didn't understand, but I understood, you know, taking the communion, uh, partaking of the Eucharist. I could, you know, the same, the apostles creed. Did I know any of the songs? No, but I enjoyed like kneeling in worship things that we didn't, we didn't do, you know, I learned from that. And so I think that's a thing too, right? Is, but I think there's a lot of fear. So this is what I'll say about that. There's a lot of fear, right? What if I get it wrong? What if I decide maybe I don't believe some particular mm-hmm. belief? I don't mean like Jesus is the Savior. I don't mean like that. I mean like something else, some other piece. Right. And then like, what if I'm wrong? Like, will I go to hell? I mean, like I had a lot of fear mm-hmm. about reevaluating. I still have a lot of questions. And I think for women too, there's just this, um, you know, like, what if, what if I do the wrong thing? Right. You know, like, um, learning about other faith traditions was kind of empowering to me. Um, helped me see people that were really faithful in their, in their, uh, spiritual lives, very loving. And, you know, they had never once in their life stepped foot in a church like I had had grown up in. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that was really beautiful to me. I really encountered God in that. And so that's kind of my goal once we get to where we can go back to church regularly is to just kind of try some things yeah, and see what resonates and not be so fearful about it. Right. Yeah. I, I, I um, identify a lot with that. I, I have in the past few years tried out a lot of different churches and um, exactly what you're saying, you know, you take, it's like an a la, a la carte sort of a menu and you're left with, you know, that love of liturgy and um, really dynamic worship music. Or if you could put all these different pieces together, how it would be this complete package. But I think that's <laughs> it's kind yeah. of profound because that's sort of, I think, you know, what the church is. It's a lot of different types of worship, types of tradition. And if you could combine it all together, probably you'd have a better picture of what the kingdom looks Mm. like. Yes. That we get stuck in our own little pockets and think that that's just all there is to it. And we're even taught uh, often that other things are like bad, not just that they're different. We're taught that they're like not really a Christian or you know, um, you know, like, um, just different beliefs, different denominations, whatever. Sometimes we're just mm-hmm. taught. Um, I'm hesitating here because I don't know how much to say. Well, we're <laughs> um, getting into this topic, these other words. So we, we knew we were going to hit on wrestling and the other words that we have in common are inclusion, exclusion. Yes. And yes. I just want to tell I want to say that because I've got it on my whiteboard over here, January 15th of last year, I woke up from sleep 
and heard louder than anything in my head, inclusion, exclusion. And that was it. And Mm. I woke up thinking, okay, (laughs) what in the world is that supposed to mean? And I wrote it down on my board because I get words and they were loud. And I think Mm. it was like, and I don't know, like it takes a while to figure them out. But what I do know is those words come up a lot and they have since then. I find them in all kinds of conversations. Who feels included? Who feels excluded? Who the church includes? Who the church excludes? Which is exactly kind of what you're, you're getting at here, I think. Yes. And it's a wonderful topic. Well, so I was raised in a tradition where, um, and this is often found in evangelical circles, where, you know, like the topic of the day is homosexuality, right? Like we just do not include LGBTQIA. We just don't include that community. Um, It always was heartbreaking for me, but quite frankly, for many years, I didn't really, it didn't hit me in the face, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I have a couple of really good friends from high school who um, married to their partners and we're really good friends now. In fact, after my husband died, they checked on me almost more than anyone did. Mm-hmm. And these are men, which is, you know, that was really unusual for me to have like guys that just reached out, you know. One of them is uh, a Gregorian friar um, in the Episcopal Church. One of the most spiritual, deeply spiritual people I know in my life. Most loving, kind And at that point, I had to really like look at what I believed and be like, okay, like obviously this man loves Mm -hmm. Jesus, right? I mean, can I really say like, I mean, there's no way I can say he's not a Christian. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I cannot say that, yet that's what I had been taught. And so I had to really revisit that. And I had to, um, and as often happens for people, it's when you know people. It's, it's when it's not out there, when it comes, clo- comes close to you. But, you know, I was very ashamed. At, I don't think I'd ever been, like, ugly to anyone, but I was very ashamed at maybe the judgment I had mm-hmm. had for people in years past. And I had to really revisit um, that. And um, it's been a very humbling experience. Mm-hmm. But all over... Um, all over the church, I run into people that I was at one time, someone told me, oh, they can't really, you know, like, oh, well, they're just so liberal or they're just so this or whatever. And then you meet them and they're like, you know, they bring Jesus near. Yeah. Like there's just no other way to say it. And I can't like, it, it upsets your apple cart. You know, this is what I'm talking about unlearning. We have to unlearn like thoughts and sometimes beliefs. Even we have to kind of like let go of things. And, and I think the thing, one of the most precious moments I ever encountered was in 2018, I got up the nerve to go to a Christian conference again. (laughs) And I was (laughs) real leery about it. It's called Evolving Faith. It was put on by Sarah Bethany and Rachel Held Evans. It was really good. It was challenging. Um, I'd I never thought that was amazing. It was amazing. I had never heard. There were speakers. There were it was Jeff, Jeff Chung is a he's a gay pastor. I mean, like, they were just like nobody I'd ever heard speak. Right. I mean, this is just did not fit in my little, you know, box, which was already expanding. My box had way already been expanded. But this was like my and uh, 
I went and it was at the end, um, Jonathan Martin, who is an author I like, a pastor I enjoy listening to, he said, uh, he did a communion. And he said, this is the Lord's table. This is not our table. This is the Lord's table. Anyone who loves Jesus is welcome to come. And the weeping mm-hmm. from people that have uh, been barred from the table mm-hmm. of Christ. Wow. It was just one of the more profound moments of my life. And I just yeah. thought, I can't be a part of that anymore. And so that has greatly shaped my, in rural Alabama, <laughs> that has greatly shaped my, sort of my search for a church um, but like you said, I have like things that are like meaningful to me that are, it's just really complicated in some ways, but that has become a real piece of the puzzle for me. Um, just, I would really like to go to a church now that's, um, does have ethnic diversity is loving towards all people. I don't want there to be limits on who, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, and, and that's not super easy to find, um, but I think that's part of the wrestling. We go back to the wrestling, right? Mm-hmm. That sometimes the wrestling helps us reach these places that we can't reach when someone just tells us, you know, like this is right or this, you should do this or you should do that, you know? So, so that's a piece of that for me. Well, what you're describing sounds like the place where we all should want to be. Um, and I, th- I think we do a, a good job sometimes of uh, taking verses um, personally, like uh, Romans and Romans eight, nothing can separate us from the love of God, uh, which is in Christ Jesus. That may not be Romans eight now that I'm saying it, but anyway, that verse, I think we, we, we think about that ourselves and the, the bad things that, maybe we've done or the things that we don't think we've gotten right in life or whatever it is. And and we say, okay, well, great. Well, nothing can separate me from, from God, nothing. Okay. Well, that includes all these things that I have on my own personal list of Mm -hmm. where I feel I've fallen short, but God forbid there's something that in another person that shakes my idea of reality. And I, I can then say, well, Nothing separates me from God, but here are all the things that separate you. Oh, that's a great point. Yes. Mm. The minute we say, you're my Lord and Savior, that's it. There's nothing else that ever matters. But that's too much. Yeah. Or that's, that's too much, apparently. Yeah. That's some really extravagant grace. And while we want it for ourselves, maybe. I, I, I think sometimes we always don't even give it to ourselves but or don't accept it for ourselves, but we really have a hard time with it being offered to others that we disapprove of. Yeah. yeah. Safe communities. I have this on my list because... When we talk about women's ministry, and that's kind of where I've landed right now, I call it women's ministry. We're in this world of totally not traditional women's ministry, though. It's like 
if you're having trouble believing God like you used to, or you you can't go to church anymore, like you said, trauma, the minute you walk in or you hear worship music, things are triggering. Like you, you have this faith, but you have no idea why or, or how you can unlearn what you feel like you need to, or, or do you even have permission? Like all of these questions, like that's mm-hmm. where I land in ministry is in that space. So I constantly live in that discomfort and with people's questions and not being okay with not having answers and thinking I, I shouldn't have answers, but I'll, I'll sit with you here and we'll talk about it. Right. So that's kind of where I am right now. And it's funny for me even to realize that I can call that a ministry. Mm. Um, because it's not traditional at all. So you, you mentioned, you know, the traditional aspects that typical women's ministry look and feel is something that is not at all what, what you would look for either, or would turn you off. So how do you think, what's the right way? What are your ideas and about meeting, meeting people on these individual paths that are not, um, supported by a curriculum or supported by a liturgical calendar or anything like that? Like what's, what are good ways to find community outside of traditional communities? Yeah, that's, it is tough. I do think peer groups are a great place Mm -hmm. to start, like what you've done. Um, Oftentimes we just need to know you're not the only person that feels this way, right? Um, Women's ministry always focuses so much on roles to me, wife and mother roles. Um, you know, if you're not a mother, if you're not a wife or if you're an empty nester, or if you're a widow or whatever, you know, like or if you're not married or whatever, you just, it seems to reduce women, I feel like, to what they do, you know, mm-hmm. like what they're good for, <laughs> to be really, to be really tacky about it. I don't know another way. That sounds terrible, but that's, it's really has always felt that way to me, right? Kind of dumbed down a little bit. You know, like not really hitting what matters. Um, not to say that motherhood or, or being a wife does not matter. It's just not all that a woman, women are. And that's a question I have uh, as a grief counselor, especially working with widows. Churches are terrible, but just very hard to find any ministry for widows. I've called biggest churches in town. They'll say like, we do like a one time a year deacon's lunch. And I'm like, why? (laughs) Like, why do you do that? That seems so useless. (laughs) Um, There's just like, it's like they're invisible, you know? So I feel like sometimes things, particularly with women, the real issues in women's lives are the real ability to desire to help women grow beyond this rubber stamped, what you do as a wife, what you do as a mother is it's just not, it's invisible. You know, I don't know if that's because most church leaders are men. I don't know if that's because widows are sort of invisible in the world at large, but I mean, in general, I just feel like for women, there's like, Mm. it's like this little pretty pink box over here. And if it doesn't fit in this pretty pink box, we don't even want to acknowledge it exists, much less Mm -hmm. talk about it. Right. You know, so I think peer groups are good, um, but, you know, how do you find those? You know, right. how do you find those? Like, that's tough. I, I couldn't find anything. After my husband died, I found, like, some grief share groups. 
but that's like kind of ed- just educational more. And then, um, also it's not like by type of death. So like, you, it's just kind of a mixture of people. So like the mm-hmm. unique challenges, you know, you couldn't really, I mean, it wasn't really a therapy group either. So, mm-hmm. but I just couldn't find anything. There was nothing. And so, um, what I've found in general is that these kind of, I hate to say specialized, but I don't know what else to say, kind of ministry tends to be done by the people that have walked it. I'm interested too in your perspective on uh, coming from an abusive marriage for me and coming out of that place of, you know, profound grief for you and walking with people that have that testimony as well. And, uh, you know, you, you get, you get back into that moment as you're sitting with people in in their moments. And um, what are some ways that you, that you recover from, from that. That's a great question. uh, Yeah. I used to just, so this is interesting to me. I like just, this is my little little self-disclosure. Like when I first started interning, all my internship was done at a free grief support group in Birmingham, which meant all day long. I heard people's, especially when I started, it was just all day, every day people and a lot of the violent deaths were violent even. Um, So it was just very overwhelming. Um, I did not struggle with people who had the same losses I did, perhaps because I've done a lot of volunteer work with fellow widows. Those I felt much more capable with, but when I would sit with someone who had lost like an adult child and I have three children, they're adults, it would just wreck me, like scare me to death. I could, it's like I personalized it or something. So some of the things I learned to do was one, to focus on their story, to try to redirect my thoughts away from like what it was triggering in me, like that fear or whatever. Um, and to focus on what they were feeling on, on their thoughts. It helped me to have like, you can't always have a plan in grief counseling, but like it helped me to have, uh, to feel like I was more facilitating than just sort of receiving all the emotion. Mm -hmm. If that makes more sense. Like I focus on like, what did I need to do to move, you know, to help them or to ask them to do next or whatever. Um, instead of just sitting and hearing and it would, I would just feel like I'm very empathic. And so it was like, I just just feel like this dump of emotion. Um, so that's one thing I also had to learn because often I would work four days, do a grief, like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, do a grief group from six to eight on Thursday night. And I was off on Friday and I just learned, as much as I could, I just didn't plan anything for Friday. Like I did stuff mm-hmm. on Fridays, but like, I just, I didn't, I didn't heavily schedule that day. You know, I would try to like, mm-hmm. just do what I could do. Basically. I just need giving yourself space. Yes. I just needed quiet. I needed like, um, almost like time to come down from it a little bit mm-hmm. because I would absorb it. I absorb the energy and I still have to do that. If I have a lot of clients in a day, I can't, I have to limit like social media. Um, I just have to give myself a space to, 
Um, and now my hours are really weird because I have like, sometimes I have video clients at night and I mean, it's just a real mishmash right now. It's a little mm -hmm. harder, but I try really hard on the weekends to just sort of give myself a chance to sort of uh, like, I don't know, like almost like decompress from it. It's almost like yeah. coming down from the emotional intensity of it. And I really have to watch what I watch on television. Mm. I have to be careful about my input. And sometimes that can feel difficult for people. They're like, you mean you're not, you know, watching the news 24 hours. You don't care. I, I just mm -hmm. can like, this is what I do all day. I can't do this 24 hours a day. I can't. And so yeah. just learning to take care of myself. Um, being out in nature, kind of learn, learning the things that help mm -hmm. me and then making sure I do them has been mm -hmm. really important for me. But then a lot of it is just needing some quiet. Like I just need to like not mm -hmm. feel rushed and pushed and, you know, so I don't know if that's a really great answer. Yeah, no, it is a great <laughs> answer. And I, I think it's, it's a good, uh, it's a, it's good advice because Maybe that's why people don't often take the move of ministering to other people in that in similar types of grief or situations because of because of that feeling that that can happen as a result can, and reliving it can some kind of, of be that triggering. And, you know, it can kind of be really mm -hmm. triggering, and depending on. Um, what the circumstances were sometimes that can be kind of like surprising like it's not so direct you know there'll be something mm -hmm. that there is said that like you you couldn't prepare for you know like you mm -hmm. I kind of know like my basic things and then somebody but like I said I wasn't expecting like with this I helped lead a group that had lost adult children and I really thought I was going to have to take a tranquilizer afterwards like I, did, mm -hmm. I held it together the first session I held it together got out to my car and like could not drive. Like I was so hysterically mm -hmm. upset. Um, had to call all my kids who were totally confused as to why I was calling and crying. <laughs> and then, and then when I talked to my supervisor about it, he was like, I think it was just that you were just watching. I think you really need to like have like have a purpose feel. And that really did help to kind of focus on what they were saying. Like instead of, what I was feeling because we're all, we're going to have things that come up. There's no yeah. way that's, I mean, some people act like you're supposed to sort of be this blank. Slide. I just don't think that's possible. No, Especially if it kind so. of mirrors your own, you know, experience. Not if you're healthy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you can be healthy. Yes. And yes. Be a robot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think that's like denial of some sort of whatever, but it's uh, and that's really true you know, of like in counseling, I feel like this could go across anything, any helper, any community helper, you know, ministry, whatever that looks like, social work, anything. Um, we're going to encounter things that are horrifying. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess maybe when I was in master's, you know, my graduate studies, they were like, oh, well, like, if that was upsetting. Like, maybe you should let someone else see that client. And I'm like, maybe I should be horrified. Like maybe that's the correct response right here is to be horrified, you know, like yeah. it should be upsetting. Right. And so I think there's a piece of it too, of just sort of understanding that the work we get into is not like 
um, work that is not emotionally wearing. It is emotionally heavy work, right? And so that's why self-care becomes hugely important because you and I and people that do any of this type of work, we're at, um, we have a danger for secondary traumatization, you know, compassion, mm-hmm. fatigue, all those things, right? So um, self-care becomes so important and vital, I would say. learned I feel like I went to school personally and then I kind of watched other people go through this school of grief in some ways and so um I feel like I did all that before I did the like you know technically clinical thing um but and I have had days where um I've thought you know like why didn't I just sell my house and move to the beach and like rent paddle boards or something? <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> Do something fun. Um, but, but at the same time, it's, it's a, com- I feel compelled to do it. So yeah. and I think you can relate to that. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. All right. So what have I not asked you that you want to talk about? Hmm. You know, in counseling, we don't see people the moment something bad happens, right? Like it's usually down the road, like they're down Mm -hmm. the road. So it sounds so bizarre to say, I feel like I stepped into this field at a time where I might be really needed. But when I see all of the things happening, you know, through, you know, COVID-19, all of the uh, people that are finally just, I've had enough. And, you know, like I really want to live in a different world than what I Mm -hmm. think the world is right now. All of that. Um, I have hope that the work I do will be, um, not just like supportive for people in grief, but maybe that through processing, and through having support and through having someone who walks with them, that it will be transforming for people. Um, Because I don't feel like this is just, even though there's obviously a lot of grief in this, I feel like there's also a lot of, uh, you know, anger is often present in grief. It's usually Mm -hmm. a secondary emotion. Anger is usually happens because we're, uh, I read a comment the other day on Twitter. Someone said, my therapist said anger is the emotion that says this is not, you shouldn't have to put up with this or you shouldn't be treated this way. It's like, it's the anger that says, I love you and you shouldn't have to do be this in this. And so I think I see like a transforming anger in our society. And, um, and I hope that I have entered this work at a time that I can help make a difference and help mm. hold a space for people that, um, because anytime there's transformation, there's also grief, uh, because you have to leave something behind. Oh yeah. So, um, so that's kind of something, but at the same time, it feels really huge and big. And, uh, there's always this question of like wading into something that we're like, well, you know, for instance, in this case, like, well, I'm not, um, I'm not black. Um, what do I have to add to the dialogue to this particular thing? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but at the same time, you know, just uh, any kind of like, just my small part, it just feels very timely and uh, at a time when a lot of things are being questioned. I just feel like my own experience maybe might, might be helpful to someone. I hope it's helpful to someone Yeah. Uh, in a yeah. re-envisioning, you know. I told a friend the other day, I don't know a lot about this particular thing she's going through. I'm like, but I know a lot about starting over. Mm. And, you know, so anyway, just hoping I can add to that conversation, add to that feeling of healing for people. Um, so, yeah. And grief, um, grieving and our world's kind of colliding of, of grieving what the church isn't. Um, and not, not being able to do church the same way that we used to. So I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of evangelicals coming out of that (laughs) tradition and saying, you know, this is just not right. And, and we, we need to find a better path. We need to put ourselves, we need to choose a better path for ourselves Mm -hmm a church that's transformed and quite literally by no one being able to go for some time has transformed many communities. I'm sure there are lots of churches that are no longer open as a result of lack of financial support. Right. Uh, And what is that going to mean? And there's going to be all kinds of people grieving all kinds of different losses. Yes. And I think that like, even though why, even though we talked about this, like professionally early on in the, pandemic I really think we'll see the effects of it in the future like it won't like I I think that's Uh, that you know like in I don't know the fall next year I mean because mm -hmm. that's when the reality of just how much things have changed will hit us wow you know it doesn't I always I mean I very rarely see someone like somebody has someone that dies sometimes they'll come in like a month later but usually it's after they've done all this kind of stuff that has to be done mm-hmm. usually when it's when everything quietens down and they mm-hmm. realize I'm not doing so well and I, I need help right so sometimes the reality just doesn't hit us in the beginning and I just think it's going to take some time for people to for our for our society our, our country our world to even know what it is that's different what we have lost mm-hmm. um, a sense of security is not something losing a sense of security is not something that people can usually name right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Like that's not something that they, you know, think to themselves, Oh, I've lost a sense of security. So they're like, but it's, I believe it'll come up for a lot of people. So for your particular ministry and your work that you do with back porch counseling, what, what, um, t- just, I guess, give me kind of a picture of, how your work works. I want, I know I want other people to, to hear that and how people can get in touch with you, what your maybe some new and unexpected ways that, that you're being blessed in this season through back porch counseling. Well, it's funny because I just prayed and prayed and sought all kinds of like advice from people in the field before I um, went straight into private practice, which is not, usual for counselors usually they go like to community mental health or something for three years until their licensure is total is completed but you know I was 54 and I'm like 
I'm going to be almost 60 before I do this, right? You know? And also I felt like uh, some people were like, you need to pay your dues. And I'm like, I feel like I've done that. <laughs> I feel like I've paid some dues along the way. So, you know, uh, I really had a desire to shape something different. So I'm only a few months old. And of course, I literally opened my doors two weeks before they closed everything down. Wow. Now, now therapy was considered uh, essential, but mm-hmm. I, I had like three clients. <laughs> so they, you know, they just said, let's just go online. You know, like they didn't, nobody wanted to really do anything they didn't have to in person. And so it was really hard. I felt like I just really worked myself and, you know, I mean, just real to do open the business, get everything up and running. And, um, kind of an interesting thing that happened was I was offering, uh, video sessions if people wanted to, but I really hadn't had anybody sign up for those. And after, after we only did video sessions, then I had people from other parts of the state that I normally probably wouldn't have mm-hmm. even like, you know, once that's all I did, then I started getting references from people in like Birmingham or Tuscaloosa or whatever. So that was kind of interesting. So it kind of made it more, um, I think people just got more used to doing things online than they had been Mm -hmm. before. Um, I don't find it's hard. It's harder for me. I feel like it's not like once you get to know somebody, it's not, but I feel like like the first one always feels a little awkward to me because it's a kind of a funny way to meet, you know? Um, But that's been interesting. I'm even doing a group online, which that was totally new experience, a therapy group online. That was totally new. It's going well. I had the same fear that, you know, this group of people have never met anyone, not even me. And then we pop up and our little pictures and I tell us like, you know, your greatest, deepest pain. You know, I mean, like I just thought, oh yeah. my gosh, this is not going to work. Like it's going to take a while. And they just have dove right in. And so I think in some ways it's sort of, I mean, I still would love, would prefer to sit face to face with people. And I do go to the office one day a week uh, now, but it opened my eyes to possibilities that maybe I had not thought of before. Mm. Um, now the thing with the camp being in counseling is I can only do things in the state I'm licensed in. Um, so there's no like nationwide counseling certification. I wish there was, but there's not. So that's a little bit of a limit, but at the same time, and this is all, this is odd to me too. So I really prayed about, you know, like grief is my niche. It's like all my extra Mm -hmm. training is in grief. All my internship is in grief, but my joke is when someone dies, the rest of the problems in our life do not go away. They in fact mm. are bigger. Like, so if you have like family issues, they don't get smaller because someone dies. You know, if someone has issues with addiction, they don't become less prone to, you know, cope that way. I mean, it, it amplifies everything. And so mm. I actually have had a lot of clients that are not really like truly grief. Like they didn't have someone die. And so that's been interesting. It's been interesting who has walked through the door. Um, so I don't know. I feel like I'm just starting. I'm still making connections. Um, still doing some contract work. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. I'm just kind of waiting to see like how things grow and develop and I'm enjoying some of my clients that are not grief clients. I, um, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of 
nervous at first, but some of them are really different than anything I've really handled as much and don't have as much experience with, but you just keep Mm -hmm. growing and learning. And my goal down the road is to have maybe to offer like some retreats or, um, you know, like, um, I don't know, like some more group oriented, but like longer time where people have like a chance for respite and, and rest and processing. And you can do like more creative things like life mapping. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like, you know, just like some really, um, dedicated time. That's really my dream is to do that. Um, and I really hope to do some public speaking as well. I have that background being working in ministry for so long. I really enjoy that. Um, and so I would love to do like some community education that way or, um, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. So, um, we'll see. I got invited Talk about people kind of connecting you. I had this woman who is a newer widow, but she's a counselor and apparently everybody in town has been sending her people. And she's like, I don't know, like, like she's pretty new as a widow. And she's like, I can't do all this. And so she was like, can we meet? I really need like help or I need, you know, so I think that's going to wow. be a good connection. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting. She said, I tell these pastors, this is their job, not mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it kind of made me laugh. But anyway, I, I sensed, you know, the connections are building, but, but it was a hard time to start a business. I won't lie. It was hard. I, uh, I have, I went to high school in Alabama. I've got some Alabama folks listening right now. I'm sure <laughs> who can reach out to you and benefit from, from, uh, back porch counseling. And I love that name too. That sounds just so very comforting. Back well, porch it was, counseling. It was born <laughs> on my back porch. <laughs> so, um, I have, I live in the woods. I live in a very rural area. I live about 45 minutes from Huntsville from where I, my office is. And it's on the edge of a wooded bluff. And, um, it's, I have a big screened in, I have a big back porch and I have a part of that is screened wow. in and spend, it's probably where we spend the majority of our time in, in decent weather is in the screened in porch. And, um, I had a friend that had, uh, come out, something had happened and they came by to visit and we were talking we just sat out there and we were talking and they said, um, you know, I would go to counseling if this is what it felt like. If uh-huh. it just felt like, you know, we're sitting on the back porch and it's not, it's not threatening to them. Uh-huh. And so that was kind of where it was born. Um, eventually I would love to host small groups, retreats on my back porch. I mean, like that's mm. kind of a down the road sort of goal. your information and the show notes and how people can find you and your website we've talked about now is backporchcounseling.com yes that's one quick way to find you and you're on facebook you're on twitter mm-hmm. uh, not so much on facebook as you are no, on no. your website some of these topics are difficult to discuss on facebook <laughs> I imagine it's not, not a very good, healthy place to be a lot of the time. Yes. <laughs> but so. thanks again. And I appreciate you being here and look forward to staying in touch and seeing what happens over the next year. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Stacey. I appreciate it.
thanks so much to Jan. And thank you guys for listening to part one and part two of my time with Jan Owen. I just encourage you to take a look at her website. Um, it's backporchcounseling.com. You can find her on Twitter at Jan J. Owen. And also check out her other website for um, Jan, janowen.com. And she has her book, Fighting Forward there and you'll also find it in our show notes it's out on amazon you can order it and i'm just so grateful to have had the opportunity to talk to her and just for um you know just how how cool it is just to meet people the way that we do on social media and technology can sometimes be um feel like a weight and a burden but sometimes it's just an opportunity to to meet people uh, that you wouldn't have ordinarily and i think that's one way that God is helping us build community, even in times when our traditional forms of community are failing us. So thank you again. I look forward to talking to you again soon. In the meantime, you can reach me at my email address, stacy at clarityunleashed.com. And if you are at all interested in the deconstruction ministry, please feel free to reach out. I'll be happy to give you more information and even invite you into that space. Talk to you soon.